Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. Parenting. Parenting is a joy. Parenting is exciting. Parenting is a thrill. Parenting can be frustrating. Parenting can be disappointing. Parenting can be every adjective that's in the book. Everything you could think of or imagine. You know, when my wife and I, when we, we got married in 1996, I was a children's pastor at a, at a church, and the greatest, I always said, the greatest birth control for our life was being a children's pastor. <laughs> now, those that know me and know my family well, some of you don't, you're getting ready to know a few more things about us. I, I, I didn't want children. And those of you that know I drive a 12-passenger van full of kids, that's funny. We didn't, I, my wife had this idea back in her mind before we got married. She, she wanted to adopt. She wanted to do all of these things. You know, we probably should have went through marriage counseling before we got married. Because she didn't divulge all of the schemes and the things that she had for our life before we got married. And all of the men, can you say amen to that? Oh, some of them are afraid to say amen. I saw that look. He's like, I'm not saying anything. She is within hitting distance. Parenting is fun. You know, even, even whenever the kids are, are loud and, uh, and obnoxious and you want to just tell them how obnoxious they are, and sometimes we do, it's still a joy. It's a challenge, but a joy. And I know that there are people here today that you don't have children. You've already raised children and your grandparents, or maybe your grandparents, and you're raising your kids' kids. I've heard some amens there. Or you've not, you're not married yet and things. So just grab this stuff that we talk about today. See how it applies to your life as we talk about hope for parents. Let's look at Scripture this morning. We're going to be in the book of Psalms, chapter 112, verse 1 through 6. Tradition of the church is to stand during the reading of the Word. So let's do that this morning here at Faith Assembly. Psalms chapter 112, verse 1 through 6. It says this. Praise the Lord. That's what we've been doing this morning. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in His commands. You know, we find great delight in His commands when we're serving something we enjoy. When we're happy with where we are in life, we find delight in commands. We will not find delight in commands when we don't have a relationship. But when we have a relationship, we can find delight in the commands of Christ of what God has set before us. Verse 2, their children will be mighty in the land. When you find joy in the things of God, in the rules of God, or in the, the instructions that God has given us, what do we do? We have children, and the children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed, it says. Verse 3, wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures, everyone say it, forever. Verse 4, Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous, 
good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Verse 6, surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this wonderful day, wonderful opportunity. I thank you for the families and the great people here that make up this church called Faith. I thank you for this campus and all of our campuses and our online campus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for people who are watching all around the world to hear your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Parents move mountains. Parents move mountains. Even on our worst day, we have the opportunity and the privilege to move mountains in life. Parents, that's you. That's, that's me. That's, that's many of us in this room. Maybe you're a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, and you're, you are raising children for a sister or a brother. You move mountains. When I say parents in this message today, I'm being somewhat generic because if you are raising kids or have influence in children or influence in families, I'm talking about you. I'm speaking to you. I'm preaching to myself and to my wife and to my family and to all of us here at Faith that we have the opportunity to move mountains in life. Let's look at more scripture. Matthew 17, verse 20. It says in verse 20, he replied, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you. If you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. I remember growing up, hearing the scripture, growing up and in, in, in the church that I grew up in, the pastor, he, he would preach that frequently. And I remember sitting there as a child. This, that my church that I was in didn't have children's church, didn't have any of the things that we have here. And I, and I would just sit there and occasionally I would grasp something that, that the pastor was saying as he was preaching. And I remember hearing him talk about that you can say to this mountain, be moved. And I'm, I'm thinking, how, how can I do that? See, I'm a, I'm a, I was a young kid, young kid just going to a small country church in the Ozarks of Arkansas where you're surrounded. My little town was in a valley surrounded by all of these hills and these mountains. And I would hear this pastor preach this. And I'm thinking this particular mountain that I lived right under was called Pynchon Mountain. And I'm wondering, how in the world can I look at that mountain and I say, move over here and, and, and go over to this mountain that's called Berryville Mountain. I'm going to command you to go over there because that's what I heard. It was very literal. I didn't understand the meaning or the direction of what was really talking about the things that are in our lives, the, the mountains that are in our lives, the, the obstacles sometimes and the journey that we go on. And so I'm sitting there listening and thinking, well, that's magnificent. I have the power to move that mountain. And the reality, if that's God's plan or God's purpose, that mountain will move. But in the life that we live, we have mountains in our life. We have things that, that we go through in our life day on day with our children, with our grandchildren, with your nieces, your nephews, your family. You have things that you go through, and parents have the opportunity to move mountains. No matter what is in your way, no matter what you're going through in your life, you have the opportunity to look at that scripturally based and say, I'm going to command this to leave my life. I'm going to command this to walk away from my life. I have got the strength, I've got the power, I've got the, the, uh, the Spirit of God in me, and we're going to walk through this journey, we're going to take this road, we're going to do this thing, we're going to do this in the manner that God's called us, I've got ears to hear, eyes to see the faith in God, because I've got at least enough faith to move a mountain, I've got at least enough as a mustard seed, and I can do this. I can be the dad that God's called me to be. 
You can be the mom that God has called you to be. You can be the influence in your family, what God has called you to be. You can do that. You have the power, the anointing, the direction, his written word, creative ideas that he will give you. You have those things right in your hands. And we can do this today. I remember growing up, I like, I'm a storyteller, so you'll, you'll, you'll figure that out after I've been up here a few times. Growing up in my hometown, I, it was a small town, and, and whenever I was growing up, we had a huge population of 2,900 people. Pastor mentioned it last week about, you know, if somebody dies, everybody knows it. Somebody does wrong, everybody knows it. Everybody knows your business. Today, it's a metropolis of 6,000. It's really growing. 24-hour McDonald's and 24-hour Walmart, they are on top of the world. They've got it going on there. When my wife first moved there, she moved from a community of about 200,000 or so, still a smaller community, but it had everything, and she moved to my hometown. That was a shock. 10 o'clock at night, she said, I want pizza or a hamburger. I said, well, you have to wait till tomorrow. It's dark. It's closed. The lights are gone. The sidewalks have been rolled up. We're done for the day. It's meant for us to be here in the home. But growing up, there wasn't a lot of things to do. So, so we, we, in my generation, we would get in our cars. I had a Dodge D50. It's like one of those little small trucks. And I drove that, fa- that thing as fast as it would go. It was an automatic, and I would shift it manual. <laughs> I'd get those RPMs up, and I would just mess with that transmission, and I would go as fast as I could. Yeah, I got a lot of speeding tickets as a child. I haven't had any as an adult. Don't, don't, don't judge me yet. <laughs> Heard somebody say, oh, my. That's just the way I was. I, I, I like to go fast. When I, was a, when I was 12 or 13 or 14, I had a, had a little Honda 50 motorcycle. Never wrecked it. My brother wrecked it and broke everything constantly. I never wrecked but I had fun. I would take that 50, and, and it probably only went 35 miles an hour. But through those fields and those gravel roads, I was just a really cool kid driving that thing. I was the kind of kid that didn't get in a lot of trouble. I, I, I don't remember getting in trouble at home that often, mostly because I, maybe I picked on my younger brother. He was twice my size, two years younger, but I could take him down. All I had to do was twist his arm. I knew his weakness. I'd make him cry. It was awesome because, yeah, he was younger than me, but he was twice my size. He's four times my size today. If I can still take him down. So I, we would cruise town. We'd drive around, and we would just hang out with friends. That era, we were just driving around, and I remember being on the historic square. We had one. Here in, here in Charleston, we have a, many squares in, in the city and now down on the peninsula you know what I'm talking about, or down in Savannah, you have the squares. We had one square, and it was called downtown. Buildings from the early 1800s that stood towering three to four stories tall. And there was a park with two uh, fountains in the middle, with a four-lane road driving right through the middle of it. And we would, we would park there, and we'd hang out with our friends. We'd talk. Complete redneck style, just sitting there having a good time. Sometimes we would go to a grocery store parking lot that overlooked the road, and me and a guy named Jeff 
we would sit in lawn chairs in the back of his truck and yell at girls that drove by. That was good living in my hometown. That's what we enjoyed doing. That's the things that, that we liked. I, I was the kid that didn't get in trouble, so I really didn't have much of a curfew. My mom and dad just come home. I think, I think the latest I probably ever came home was midnight, but I, I didn't have it because I just didn't get in trouble. I was just one of those kids. I could have, but I didn't. But I remember numerous occasions sitting there in my truck or hanging out with friends by that fountain or hanging out with friends in front of the courthouse there on the historic square, as we call downtown Berryville. Sitting there with my friends, and I would hear my mom's voice. And there would be 30 or 40, maybe more teenagers just hanging around. No adults. It was just, a, it was just the, the kids were just hanging out. And I remember hearing my mom's voice. And the first time I heard that, I would walk around looking. Is my mom here spying on me? Where's my mom? And I would go on and do some more things. And then I would hear her voice again. I would hear her say, Kelly. And you know, if, if you have been blessed enough to be raised by a mom, you know when she calls your name, there's, there's something important going on. You hear that voice. Kind of like, like the scripture says when we hear the, the still small voice of God, we need to listen. And I would hear my mom's voice. And after a couple of times that first time, I remember this, I drove home. I got home door was unlocked because we didn't have to lock the doors. And I just walked in my room. Everything was dark. I assumed my mom was asleep. Next morning, I remember asking her, Mom, I heard your voice last night. I heard you, you calling my name. Were, were you in what we called town? Were you there? Were you on the square? She said, no, I was home. And I said, well, I heard your voice. She said, the Holy Spirit woke me up and said to pray for you. The Holy Spirit woke me up and said, pray for you. As I was growing up and driving my little truck and driving around town, hanging out with my friends. This happened numerous times. I could hear my mom say, Kelly. And each and every time that I would ask her, I didn't ask her each and every time, each and every time I would ask her, I'd say, Mom, I heard your name. She said, the Holy Spirit told me to to pray for you. She was moving mountains that had yet appeared. See, my mom was moving mountains that that hadn't even appeared in my life because I was just hanging out. The strongest thing I drank was a Dr. Pepper. (laughs) hanging out with my friends, some of them were doing those things. Some of them were doing things that I knew that my mom and dad taught me not to do, and I didn't do those. The closest I ever got was smelling it. And it smelled awful, so why would I want to drink what stunk? That was my philosophy in life. Simple, simple guy. It happened time and time again. What am I saying? A praying mom. Moms, I need you to pray. I need you to pray. You may be praying today. You may be praying today because your child is in a mess. You may be praying today because your child is in that. But, hey, if if your children are not in those situations yet, start praying now. Have ears to hear the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, start praying for the Kelly. Start praying for the Bobby. Start praying for the children that you have been blessed with. Pray for them. This is how I pray for my children. Can I share with you? I share, as I'm rocking them to sleep, I started this with Kelsey 14 years ago. I prayed, Lord Jesus, save her soul at a young age. Save her. Let her come to know you as her Lord and Savior when she is a young child. I pray, Lord God, I pray that she is righteous and holy before you, that she lives a righteous life, that she lives a holy life, that she's raised properly, that she does these things. I pray, Lord, if her husband-to-be is on this earth, 
I prayed the same prayer for him. I have prayed whoever hurt she marries. I have been praying for him for 14 years, believing that he's saved, believing that he's filled with the Holy Spirit, believing that he is what God has called him to be in life. I pray that prayer. I pray that for all of my children. We need to be a place of prayer. We must be families of prayer. If we are families of prayer, God will transition our children into the dreams that we have for them. And the dream that we have for them comes from God Almighty. Now I want to talk about my dad. My dad, when I would be laying in bed sick with a high fever, I'm talking to you dads now. I would be sick, I'd be ill. I'd put it off as long as I could. I thought I could get over this sickness. Yeah, I'd pray for myself as a child. But I remember laying in my bed, in my bedroom. I can see myself laying there. I can see this one instance in particular that I have a great memory of. My mom came in. This would have been when I would have been seven or eight, nine, ten, before I was driving, before the other story. And she would say, Kelly, do you, do you want your dad to come and pray? I knew what that meant. That meant that he was going to come into my bedroom and lay his big, rough hand. Now, when you're nine, my dad is a small guy. He's my size. But, but when you're nine years old, that was a big, rough hand. My dad worked hard in his life. And he, would, he had calluses all over his hands. And he would put that hand over my forehead. And I would be burning with sweat. Or I would be chilled and cold and sick and had been really ill. And I remember this numerous times. But I remember one particular time he came into my room And he just commanded me to be healed in the name of Jesus. As a prayer of a dad. You know what happens? You're healed. You know what happens when dad has the power of God in his life and is serving God with the fullness of his heart and he knows the scripture and knows the word and he's doing the right things in life. The ear of God hears that. Great and mighty things happen. Why? Because he prayed. He was a praying dad. What can we be, church? How can we grow? How can we prosper? How can our families become that, that that God has called us to become? How can this church be strong and powerful? How can this church make an impact? It goes beyond all of the things that we do here on a Sunday. It goes to your homes. What happens in your homes reflects what happens in this place on a Sunday morning. We need to get our homes in order. That's why we're doing this family series. I'm preaching to myself, and and pastor's preaching to himself, and those that are going to be preaching during this series, we're preaching to our own homes and our own life as we're sharing this with you because it's our heart we are sharing during these messages of family, that we must be moms and dads of prayer. Number two. Raising biblically wise children. Raising biblically wise children. Psalms chapter 24, verse 1. God owns it all. God owns it all. He owns everything. This is His. I'm setting up for point three in just a moment. This is His. This is His. All that we have here is His. The jacket I'm wearing, the shoes that I have on, the car that we drove, the money that you gave in the offer, this, this is all his. And here's the scripture. It says, 24.1 of the book of Psalm. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything. Everything that's in it is his. Each and every person that's here. 
All of the things that we have, all of the things that we own, this entire world is His. Let's live like it. Let's understand that we are walking in His sanctuary, that we are walking in His world, that we are living for Him, the world and all who live in it. We realize that we need to suffer the little children. We learn this from Scripture whenever Jesus is, is sitting. Maybe he's sitting on the ground. He was sitting here. And all of the kids and all the books he's, that I've seen, he's sitting on a stool. And all the children come around. And then people are coming. Why are you wasting your time? And he says, suffer these kids. Suffer the little children. Make sure that they understand. Because if we're not pouring into the little children, what are we doing with what we have? What are we doing with what we have? So we must pour into those kids. Suffer the little children. And we want to give them good gifts. We understand that good gifts, that God will give us good gifts. We understand that we want to give our children good gifts, but we should not worship children. See, we we live in a very, and we become a very kid-centered or kid-centric society. Yes, we want the best for our kids, but our kids don't rule the house. The point is this, folks. The point is, the valuable point is this, that, that we should not and cannot allow the inmates to run the asylum. Because sometimes my home feels like an asylum. But it's a place that I love. It's a place that I endure. It's a place that we work through. Parents, you're in charge. Parents, you're in charge. Parents, live like you're in charge. Make decisions. Hear the Holy Spirit. Pray, pray, pray. Read the scriptures to your kids. Raise them in the way that you want them to live. Letter B, teaching. Teaching the value of work. Teaching the value of work. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. It says, a sluggard's appetite is never filled. But I love the second part. But the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. A lazy man, a person that's making bad decisions, their appetite is never filled. Or somebody that just wants and wants and wants is never filled. But those that are diligent are fully satisfied in their life. I want to live a satisfied life. I want to live a life that's pleasing to God. Children, we need to teach them to work. We need to teach our children to work. If I told you my story of working, you would think I was lying, so I'll just skip that part. My wife laughs every time I start talking about how early I started working in life. But my dad was a workaholic, and he believed that we must work. We must, we must do those things. And some of the things that I had to do as a child, I don't want my children to have to do, but I want them to have the work ethic that I do have and that my wife has. I want them to understand that there are priorities in life and children need to work. Children need to learn how to do things in the home. Children need to learn how to live a life and be productive citizens. It's our opportunity to teach children. To teach children the simple things of life, how to do laundry, how to wash dishes, how to keep their room clean, how to do things around the house. It's our challenge as moms and as dads to teach our children so they don't become slums when they're 19. It's our opportunity to do these things in life. They need to learn. Because they're not always going to live in your house. You hope. 
you hope. Our responsibility should increase as our age increases. Our children's responsibility should increase as their age increases. I've got a simple illustration here. It's just this black rope I picked up at Lowe's. Then I went to the fabric department and bought ribbon. I don't ever plan to go there again. But I went there one time. So a lady kept looking at me. But I went there and bought some ribbon. But I bought this, bought this rope for this day. And these ribbons, they can, they can identify places you are in life. Things you've went through, things you've done. You know, Maya, my two-year-old, when she was first learning to walk, what did she do? I would use both hands. And I'd say, come here, baby. Come here. I would teach her to walk. And she would fall even with my hands. And I'd pick her up. She'd start crying. And I'd, I'd, I'd make her do it again. Why? Because I wanted her to walk before any of the others. <laughs> I'm that competitive. <laughs> I get that from my grandparents. And so, come on, come on, you're going to get up and walk. You're not going to let that other boy that I saw the other day walking, you're going to learn to walk. <laughs> you're, going to, you're going to learn to walk, and then you're going to learn to kick a soccer ball so that you, you, can, be, you can be the coolest kid. But then as she gets a little older, I could say, here, here, Maya, take the end of this rope, and I'm going to stand here, and then we can walk. And then, then I have... I have a, a 12-year-old son. I can, I can take him right here, and I say, you can go this far. This is how far you can go because of the trust factor, because of your responsibility, because I know who you are, and you've made one, two, three monumental decisions. So, so you can hold on to this, and I'm going to lead you through the home. I'm going to lead you through life. Then I have a 14-year-old, and she's somewhere in this area, and you've made some good decisions, babe, and, and, and you're going to hold on this side, and, and we're going to walk through life together. You're going you're to stay a little bit far from me so that you can make a few decisions, but I'm going to stay real close to you so I can grab you and pull you in if I need to. And then whenever they get ready to go to college, they're, they're here at the end of the rope. And, and maybe, maybe if you're really blessed, they go to college locally and they, they've got a full scholarship so you don't have to pay for that. <laughs> yes, Lord. Thank you, God. Because <laughs> I have a lot of children. At that point in time, you can hand them the rope and say, do you remember this, Kelsey? When you were one, do you remember? No, you don't remember that when you were one, but let me tell you about it. You remember these things? You're going to go 1,200 miles away because my daughter says she's going to Oklahoma State University, and that's not in this state. (laughs) So I have to pay out-of-state commission. No, 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 no. You're going to get a scholarship. But I'm going to be able to hand her a rope like this and say, You've done these things in life. Now, Daddy can't hold the end of this anymore, but remember, I'm here still. You've made these decisions in life, and I'm going to give you this rope, and I want you to hang this in your dorm room, and I want you to see the decisions you've made. And this symbolizes what Mom and Dad have done for you and the life that we have planned for you. You hang that there, and every time you look at that, and remember, Daddy's wanting to hold this rope, but right now I've got to let go of it. I've got to let go of it for just a moment in life. Why? Because our responsibility increases as she or as our children grow older. The rope. Letter C, contentment. Contentment is the antidote. Contentment is the antidote. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. It says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. I love this scripture. I know I've read this many times in my life, looking at it. But whenever I looked at this 
a couple of weeks ago when I was thinking about this message today, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Being content, being godly, being where you are placed in life, being what God's called you to be in life. You can be content, and it's great gain. When we spend a lifetime of worshiping at the altar of nice things, we then have issues with contentment in our own life. Contentment. Responsibility. Great gain. Good decisions. Investments. Proper spending of money. Doing things that you need to do in life. Selling everything you own if you have to to get out of debt. Whatever God is calling you to do. Sacrificing for a season so that you can be blessed for your life. So that you can show your children how to live, how to spend, how to save, how to live your life. That it's important that it's a God-led, God-ordained event, time, and purpose for you. When we teach contentment to our children at a young age, or at any age, you can start at any time, we've given them the antidote. We've given them that antidote. You have vaccinated them against the culture of needing everything in life and needing more and more and more to have happiness. People ask me frequently, they say, are you happy? I said, sure. I'm happy. I'm just a happy guy. I love my wife. I have a great marriage. I have wonderful children. Even though they irritate me to death sometimes, I'm happy. Why? Because I have Christ. How can I not be happy? I I may not have everything in my life that I would dream to have, but I'm happy. I have a nice home. Right now, in this point of our life, we sold our home in, in Oklahoma some time back. We are renting from wonderful people in this church. We have a nice home, and we are blessed, and we are content. Sure, I want to purchase a home. My wife and I, we want land, and my wife wants pigs and chickens. (laughs) Pastor Jason has chickens. Why can't we have chickens? (laughs) I hope nobody is in his neighborhood because his HOA doesn't know that, so we won't won't go any farther on that one. I'll be in trouble. We need to be just, we need to be happy people. I've got another story I want to tell you. There's two glass rooms. There's two children that signed up, said, I will go in that glass room and see what's in there. They were glass rooms whenever you, you know, when you turn on a certain kind of light, they, they become visible, but then it's kind of like the rooms in the back when the light's on in there, you can see, but they're glass rooms. Right now you can't see it, just mirror it over. And so they, they said, we'll go in there. So there was a, a guy that opened the door, and then they walked in, and the light comes on. And then the other young boy walks in, the light comes on. And these two children are in these glass rooms, and these glass rooms are full of manure. Oh, I know it sounds gross, but just stay with me for a moment. So these two children have been put in these rooms. They volunteered for the assignment, and then within moments, one is screaming and yelling, Get me out of here! I want out of this room! Beating on the door so the adult comes in. What's wrong? I don't want to be in here! Why would you put me in here? You signed up for it. But why would you put me? Because you signed up for it. You said you were willing to walk through this. You said, I'm willing, even though you're a child, you said, I will walk through this. You signed it. Here's your signature. You said, I don't want out of here. Okay, we'll let you out. He walks into the other room, opens the door. The kid's just jumping and running and, and throwing the manure in the air and just having a great time. 
Must be a, a little boy, right? Just having a great time. And the guy said, the other kid was crying. What's, what's your problem? He said, with this much manure in this room, there's a pony in here somewhere, and I'm going to dig until I find it. Being content where you are, there are hidden blessings. You just got to dig. You just got to dig. Come on. Number three, faith. Everybody say faith. I feel like I do. When I say it, I spit. Faith. Those that are sitting in the front row can see it with the lights. Faith will outlast our generation. Psalm 112, 1 and then 6. We read at the beginning. We're going to bring it home here. We're going to, verse 1, and then we're going to jump to verse 6. It says this in verse 1, praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Remember, we read this earlier. Who find great delight in his commands. Surely the righteous will never be shaken, for they will be remembered forever. I'm going to talk about three people that will be remembered forever, and then we'll be done this morning. Jesus. That's the number one that will be forever remembered. Can you imagine that long ago, somebody living a life, people writing down what he says and what he does, and even before that in the Old Testament, writing down all of these things, and there was such an impact that still today, people either love him or despise him. The people either serve him or run from him. The impact this person had on our world. Faith will endure forever. If it's come this long and come this far, it will not be lost. Jesus, what did he do? He planted and he harvested. He taught and he led. Even at age 12, he was was just blowing the minds of those that were scholars, making many of them mad, but he was blowing their minds with the things and the audacity that he had, the, 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 the strong words that he was using, the The confidence that he walked in, even as a child. And he did all of that. See, we we hope to live to be 100, and we prepare, and we go to school, and we we finish our our degrees, and we do all of these things, hoping to live to be 100 so that we can have an impact and, and enjoy life in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. But I want you to think about his life here. He knew that he was going to die at a young age, that he was going to have to give up this heavenly, this earthly body, and he was going to have to give up all of these things, but he still, he prepared, and he learned, and he read, and he studied, and he moved in the, the presence of his Father God. He did all of these things knowing that it was going to be a short-term mission on earth. But still today, we're talking about him. Still today, we're praying to him. Still today, we are worshiping him and seeking him. Still today, even with all of those things, and this many, many, many years ago, we are still doing those things. Jesus had an impact. Without Jesus, this building wouldn't be here. There would be a shopping mall here or something. Without Jesus, life would be so different. He had an impact on the earth greater than anyone has ever had on the earth. Next thing I want to talk to you about is someone that's impacted my life. Talked about my mom and dad. I want to talk about my grandfather. My grandfather, when I was learning to talk, my mom said his name is Papa. So that's all I ever called the man. Papa. 
as a teenager, I'd say, hey, there's my papa, and kids would laugh. I'm like, you're a papa? It's like, yeah, it's my papa. Don't mess with me or him. Because that's the guy that I love more than any man on this earth. His name is Harvey Johnson. He passed away eight years ago. One of the greatest losses in my life because he was my best friend. He taught me so much in life. Yeah, that's me pointing in a diaper. <laughs> Might as well just show it. And that's him. Even when I was two, that was my second birthday party. He was making ice cream the old-fashioned way, sitting there cranking it for me. Little ball sitting there. And it means a lot to me. Why? Because he lived his life so that he could plant into me. This was his, this was his guitar. This is a Martin, very expensive, very nice guitar. He played this for years. I had this up here with me today just to show you the heritage that we can create in life. That guitar, when Grayson becomes an adult, and that may be 70, he gets that guitar. Because it was actually given to my son by my grandmother when my grandfather passed. He was in his 40s when he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He did a lot of crazy things in his life. My grandfather and my grandmother, um, they, back in the day, they, they were dancers. They did all of these things. I didn't get that gene. They did all of these things. But one day, this is what my grandfather said, and I, of course, wasn't born then, but I, I remember it, and it stuck in my mind just as much as many of the scriptures are stuck in my mind. And he said, I'm going to give all of this up so that I can take my kids to church. I'm going to give up my career, all this, these things that they were wanting to do with dancing. They were on television, all of these things. They were giving all of that up. Why? Because they wanted to make sure my grandfather made a man's decision and said, I'm giving up that career that could lead me to popularity. I'm giving it up because I want my kids to go to church. And they had to do the dancing on Saturday night. And he said, I can't do that and get up on Sunday morning because they didn't get home until Sunday morning. I'm giving that up. How did that impact my life? How did that one decision impact my life? It, it, was, it was so impactful that I'm here today. Because of that, my, my mom and my uncle, his children, are serving Christ today. Because of that, my mom and my dad, they taught me and, they, and they, they sent me to church. And we went to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. Every revival within 40 miles we attended was early and stayed late. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. We were there. Why? Because that's what people do. And that's what I was taught to do as a child. And that man, he taught me these things, these valuable lessons. When I was in school, I was one of those crazy kids that never missed a day of school. I went through school. I got the, what I, always, what I refer to, don't be offended, but what I re- refer to as the PTA Nerd Award. And it said, it didn't say, all it said was he never missed school. I can't remember, but it just said perfect attendance. But if, if you had perfect attendance, every semester in the school that I went to, you were given a free day. Every semester. I would take that free day, whether it be on a Wednesday or, or a Friday, and I would take that, and I would plan like two weeks in advance, and I'd call my papa. and say, what are you doing on this certain date? He would tell me. i said, can I go with you? So you may not have what I had with a papa, but you may have somebody in your life that you can connect to. Young people that are here today, I challenge you to connect with someone of wisdom. I I challenge you to connect 
with a grandma or a grandpa. I challenge you to connect with somebody that has lived the life and have made decisions, and they may look different than you, and they may dress different than you, and they may do things different than you, but find somebody and connect with them because you will be wise before your years if you will connect with someone that has wisdom in life. Faith will outlast our generation. Faith will outlast our generation. Jesus, my grandfather, he lived it, he shared it. Now you, we catch it, and then we coach it. You put the glove on and you catch it today. You catch the calling of being a mom and a dad. You catch the calling of being a mentor or a coach. You catch the calling of making the right decisions in life. You catch the calling of doing this and transforming a generation one by one. Because our communities in the Charleston area will be changed by you. Your family. You live on a street where there's people that need Christ. Your children. You're planting into them. Then your children... What do they do? They reap and then they sow. And it's a generational thing. It's a blessing. And it goes on by generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. Why? Because you can be the papa. You can be that grandfather. You can be that to someone today. You have the opportunity to change a life. I challenge you. Change together. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.